0: So if you've already been growing your own food and perhaps you're keeping some chickens and you'd like to take the next step, for a lot of people, that will be some form of milking animal. When you're producing your own milk, a whole new exciting world opens up in front of you of making yogurts and ice cream and cheeses from your own garden. Hello and welcome to the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I'm Carl from selfsufficienthub.com and I'm here to talk about all things self-sufficiency. Sustainability and food security matters. Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I hope you're all safe and well. I want to start out today by just giving a huge thank you to our latest Patreon sponsor and that is Sean Frau. Thank you ever so much for choosing to support the show. It means a tremendous amount to me and it's just as important to me that you find the show so worthwhile to have decided to do that. So thank you so much. I really am touched. So um Every time someone chooses to support the show in that way, you know, I'm overcome with gratitude. So thank you so much. Today's episode is going to be all about the home dairy and we're talking about milk. We're talking about milk production and what choices you might make before you get as far as having a milking animal and also some of the products that we're going to be able to produce from that, how we're going to manage our milk, how we're going to manage the amount we're producing and keep a constant supply throughout the year and things we might be able to do to preserve it and deal with gluts and things of that nature. So hopefully this will be a really interesting one. Now I want to start out with the animals and. Really when you're thinking about producing your own milk the usual choices will be between goats and cows. Now of course you can milk sheep as well but in my experience I personally don't know anyone who has kept sheep for that purpose. I know that commercially there are some milking herds of sheep to make obviously the sheep's milk products that we see in the stores but for a smallholder or a homesteader i'm not sure that it's really considered one of the go-to options so i'm not going to be dealing with that today but i'm going to talk briefly about cows and goats now cows have one distinct advantage and that is that the taste and flavor of the milk is going to be pretty close to that that you are probably used to buying from the store unless you're already buying goat's milk of course However from my opinion and this is slightly subjective but from my opinion that's where the advantages really stop. You need approximately four times the space for every cow that you need for a goat so it's a much more manageable way of getting your milk if you're keeping goats and it means that it's much easier for most of us to be able to manage a very small herd which also has its own distinct advantages now if you want to be producing milk 12 months of the year then you're going to want more than one animal so that's another big part of the consideration that should come into play at this point and another reason why for me it makes goats the natural choice now with any milking animal goats and cows you You can milk them for longer than one year in one lactation. It's quite common practice in lots of places around the world to milk goats for three years. But it can be slightly detrimental to the animal's health and slightly detrimental to yields as well. So the reason it's detrimental to the animal's health is it just puts the body under the stress involved really in functioning that additional purpose to the usual rhythms of life and the yields do tend to drop off over time if you think about it in nature the animal's going to be weaning that young after a certain number of months so it's quite natural particularly in goats for goats to naturally actually be Feeding from mum's milk for quite a prolonged period of time sometimes up to a year and we've actually had that with one of our kids that we were hoping was going to wean naturally but it wouldn't wean and even almost a year later it was still drinking from mum so we had to separate them that was the only way we could get them to stop so You can certainly milk animals for longer than the nine months that I'm going to talk about, because that's the system I use, but that's something you would have to look into yourself. So the idea being for us that we milk our goats, any individual goat, for around nine months, and then we allow the animal three months of not being milked and during this time they would be also pregnant and ready to kid again so that the udders and that whole process within the animal's body has had a three-month break a rest to recover before the kidding and then we go again and so the animal is actually producing milk for about nine months but for the first few weeks of that period we're not actually having any it's all going to the offspring so if you have just two goats it's really easy to be producing milk all year round now when it comes to yields one cow is almost certainly going to provide far more milk than the average family is going to be able to use and that's not a problem I'm going to be talking about lots and lots of ways that we can use our excess milk but the reason I mention that is to say that really one goat is probably enough for your day-to-day needs and two certainly is so we keep three goats here which means when all three are milking we are producing far more milk than we actually need however that's only the case for about three to four months of the year the rest of the year we only have either one or two goats that we're milking so for me that balance is just about perfect now i'm not going to talk in any more detail about the actual animal husbandry part or about the breeding part of the home dairy we're going to get stuck into the actual milk the uses of the milk how I go about what I do here and some other things that perhaps although I haven't done are certainly things that I've looked into and are options for you it's really easy for you to get in touch with us You can do it either by sending an email to selfsufficientcontact at gmail.com or by using the link in the show notes to send us a voice message. You can send us a voice message just using your phone. You could also reach out to us on Facebook, where we have the Self Sufficient Hub group and the Self Sufficient Hub page. We're always thrilled to get your feedback, questions or suggestions for future topics on the show. So talking about the milk, then the differences between cow's milk and goat's milk are also something that you should understand. So there is a slight difference in flavour, although I have to say when the milk's very, very fresh, there's almost no difference. So much so that a small amount, I would challenge anyone to actually notice the difference unless they were already looking for it when they when they went in. So um, really, really fresh milk, goat's milk is going to taste very very similar to cow's milk it's over time when you're using raw milk as we do here we don't pasteurize our milk It's the bacteria in the milk that does its thing and effectively sours the milk over time. That's how milk goes off and that also causes those strong flavours to develop. So it's really important if you're milking at home that you get your milk processed and chilled as soon as possible to reduce that bacteria buildup. Now really if you're milking twice a day then there's no reason why you would ever drink milk that's more than about 24 hours old because you're going to be getting that milk fresh every 12 hours so for table milk for milk that you're going to be drinking using in your coffee perhaps or with cereal at breakfast time then you're going to be wanting to use the freshest milk available because that's going to have the cleanest taste but for cooking and for cheese making and butter making and fermenting and all those other amazing uses for your milk then there's no problem at all with using milk that's a day or two old what we do is we milk our animals bring the milk in we process it we get it in the fridge straight away and basically the freshest milk is the milk that we're going to use it's that milk that we reach for when we open the fridge door all the other milk if we're not processing it straight away to turn it into something else then we would freeze it and We do that because I like to make my cheese and things like that in larger batches. I don't like to make a small amount every day. It's quite time consuming. So what I do is I freeze it and then every so often I'll take the correct amount that I want to use out of the freezer and then I will make a big batch of cheese or whatever it is I'm making with quite a large amount of milk at once. So that's our way of sort of cycling the milk and making sure that we've always got fresh milk in the fridge and we've always got milk saved on hand ready to make whatever else i might want to make with it now the other key difference between cow's milk and goat's milk is that goat's milk is naturally homogenized now what that really means is that the fat doesn't separate out quite as readily as cow's milk so if you were milking a cow and you let that milk just sit in the fridge for 12 to 24 hours it's going to separate and the cream's going to rise to the top and be very very easy to take off and there's going to be quite a lot there with goat's milk even though the fat content can still be quite high the fat doesn't separate out nearly as readily so I still personally still use the same process but it means our cream yields that we're taking off of that milk are much much less than if we were milking a cow now that is a bit of a drawback and one of the things that if you're going to be using goat's milk in a serious way to produce as much of your produce as possible that you will probably want to invest in will be a milk separator now that's something that we have right near the top of our list of things that we'd love to get hold of to get a decent one they're not cheap they're a few hundred pounds and we just we haven't pulled the trigger on that yet but it is something that I definitely definitely want because the ability to separate much more cream from our goat's milk would be so useful and it would make things like ice cream making that much better that much nicer so That's another key difference between cow's milk and goat's milk. So when you buy pasteurized cow's milk from the shop, the cream doesn't separate off quite so much as it would if it was fresh because of how it's been processed. They've homogenized the milk before you've purchased it. So along with everything else I've said, it's really important whenever you're dealing with your milk is that you keep all of your equipment sterile really really clean because again it's those bacteria that are naturally within the milk we don't want to be adding to them and we certainly want to do everything we can to reduce the bacteria that we're dealing with so what we would also do is strain our milk so when we bring it in the house we would strain it through Some people suggest uh, using clean tea towels and things like that. Personally, what we use is a reusable coffee filter. So it's a plastic cup with metal mesh on either side that you would use in a large coffee machine. And we effectively filter all of our milk through there. And again, that just makes sure that we capture out any of the small little foreign bodies that might have got in through the milking process. Now again as I said before we don't pasteurize our milk here we just keep it all raw and use it that way some of the processing that we do with it when we're making some types of cheeses we actually pasteurize it as part of the cheese making process but other than that we don't pasteurize it. Now if you were to be selling your milk then depending on where you are there may well be some kind of regulations in your area that cover whether or not you can sell unpasteurized milk so you definitely want to look into that if selling it is on your agenda. If you wanted to pasteurize milk it's actually quite easy so you would heat milk much like you would melt chocolate for cooking so you'd cook it in a sort of bain-marie you'd have a pot of water and then you'd put a second pot within that because it's really quite easy to burn milk and that burnt taste would go all through the milk and To pasteurize it, you can either do it what I'm going to call the quick way or the slow way. And the quick way is you would heat it to between 71 and 74 degrees Celsius. So that's uh, between 161 and 165 degrees Fahrenheit. You don't want to go above those temperatures or it will burn it. And you want to keep it at that temperature for between 15 and 20 seconds. And then as always, whenever you're heating milk, you want to cool it as quickly as you can afterwards. Whenever you're cooling milk, it's always to reduce the bacteria because the bacteria are going to grow fastest in warm temperatures. And the slow system is to heat it to between 60 and 65 degrees centigrade, which is between 140 and 150 degrees Fahrenheit. And if you're gonna do that, then you're gonna wanna keep it there for around 30 minutes. So if you're choosing to pasteurize your milk the thing to remember is that you want to then cool it as fast as you can and then get it in the fridge. Now pasteurized milk is going to stay fresher for longer so it's not going to sour as quickly. Now if you're making lots and lots of your own milk what else can we make from that well there are lots of things that we can substitute from our shopping list now that we've got lots and lots of our own milk and the first of which is cream we've already spoke about that briefly and the easiest way is to skim your milk and that's exactly what skimmed milk is skimmed milk is the, is the milk which has had the cream skimmed off the top of it the second way is with a cream separator now i mentioned it specifically for goats The reason for that is because goat's milk is naturally homogenized to get lots of cream, it's really the only way to get that is to use a cream separator. But you can also use a cream separator for cow's milk, and it just means that you're getting your cream that much quicker. The idea of a cream separator is you. It's basically a piece of equipment that uses a centrifuge to spin the milk and separate the cream in the milk through two different funnels. So you pour your milk into the top, you turn the machine on or you crank it by hand and you put a jar under one of the outlets and that collects your skimmed milk and you put a jar under the other outlet and that collects your cream. Now once you've got your cream, that's a product that you can use to make things like butter, butter is the easiest thing in the world to make. Now how we make it is, I I should probably invest in a little machine to do this for us, but we literally, we take a jam jar and we third fill it with cream, screw the lid on nice and tight and then we shake it and we shake it and 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 it and and eventually we get butter. It's really that simple. The only thing that You might want to just consider is how much butter you need, how much butter you use. And if you think that you're going to require quite a lot of it, then obviously you're going to want to consider investing in a machine. There's also yogurts. Now, yogurts are a great one for making at home because they're so simple you do need, much like a lot of the things that we ferment, so another thing that you can make with milk is kefir, milk kefir, and I'm gonna talk about kefirs and yogurts in the same vein, because they share a lot of the same characteristics insofar as what you need to know to make them. The first thing is they really need some kind of starter culture now there's lots of ways of going about that but the easiest way is just to buy one so you can buy kefir grains which will be your milk kefir starter culture and that works much in the same way as a scoby a kombucha scoby or something like that and when it comes to yogurt the easiest way is to just buy a jar of plain natural live yogurt now it's really important that you get live yogurt because that's what it is that you're actually after you're after those live bacteria that are in the yogurt And then once you've got your starter culture, be it kefir grains or the live yogurt, the principles work the same. But I'm going to talk about how you would go about using that with a yogurt. So if you've got yourself a live yogurt, you can literally take a tablespoon of that live yogurt and we're going to use the bacteria that are in there those healthy bacteria and we're going to use them to effectively inoculate our milk and to colonize it. So we take a teaspoon of that, we put it in a jar, we top that up with milk, and then we just allow that to propagate. We allow that bacteria to grow and that's what forms the yogurt. And you can add whatever flavors you like. And what I tend to do is keep a plain yogurt at all times so that that's our kind of starter culture. So I might take a teaspoon or a tablespoon rather of that starter plain yogurt and start a jar of fresh yogurt that I'm going to make and flavor that with something and then take another tablespoon and make another one flavor that with something else and then take a third one and make another yogurt and that's going to be our new plain starter culture now of course you can just eat that as plain yogurt but also that's going to go on ad infinitum to be our starter culture going forward so once you've bought your first pot of live yogurt you should never have to buy another one after that it's the the way that the bacteria work that's really how it coagulates the milk and forms that yogurt flavor that sweet sour yogurt flavor that you're after and of course you can add any kind of flavorings to your yogurt be them fresh fruit and berries and things like that or store-bought flavorings you really are spoilt for choice I would recommend that you find a simple recipe and start off with that but once you get going you'll find it is so easy to keep your own yogurt in constant production that you won't really need to be referring to recipes for too long just a quick note here actually If you are thinking of going along these lines and you're not sure about getting a goat or a cow, then why don't you find someone or somewhere local to you where you can just buy some raw, unfiltered goat's milk and have a practice with that? Because that's going to give you the raw materials to try all these things. And without you having to commit to a big animal, you can actually just have a go at these things. And the same applies if you don't want an animal you can still make all of these products by finding a supplier of raw milk near you and i'm sure that if you have a look it wouldn't actually be that hard most places you can find a supplier of raw milk but even if it's even if you can only get raw cow's milk then you're still going to be able to do a lot of these things yourself rather than having to buy things like cheeses and yogurts <music> You can now support the show directly just go to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub you can become a patron and set up to donate to the show from any amount pledging as little as three dollars a month makes a huge difference if that's not your thing you can also support the show by sharing it with people you know or posting about it on social media we really appreciate all the help that you give us it's people like you that make this show possible We're going to get on to cheese making in a second, but before I do, I just want to talk about spare cheese and cheese gluts. Now, like everything else, there's going to be feasts and famines, whatever it is we're producing, whether it's our vegetables that are only available at a certain time of the year, or whether it's animals that we are slaughtering for meat. There's going to be times when we have a tremendous amount of it and we need to preserve it, and there's going to be times when we don't have quite so much. I've always mentioned I've already mentioned freezing milk which is great but something else to bear in mind is you can also make some really simple things like milk-based sauces like parsley sauce and cheese sauce and freeze them. We freeze quite a lot of cheese sauce when we've got lots and lots of milk to process. You can also make lots of things like custards out of your milk and you can also use spare milk as animal feed it makes a fantastic protein source for things like chickens and pigs so there's lots and lots of ways you can use excess milk if you find yourself in the position of having it and needing a use for it so don't ever worry about having too much because you can always feed it back to your animals Next we're going to talk about cheese. Now cheese is a vast topic and in a future episode I will dedicate an entire show to it but for now we're just going to talk about the basics of homemade cheeses. Now if you're just starting out I strongly recommend that you find a recipe or two and try them but the basics of cheese making are as follows. What we need to do is curdle the cheese. We effectively need the cheese to curdle because what curdling does is it separates the curds from the whey. Curdle, curds. The curds are the solids that are formed throughout the curdling process and the whey is the liquid that is quite watery. So the first step is to curdle the cheese then we're to separate out the curds and then we're to dry the curds and then what you're left with is cheese. Now there's one really really simple recipe which is quite often referred to as a farmer's cheese. Now to make farmer's cheese you would warm the milk and basically you would add something acidic to it which is going to force it to curdle. Now you can use lemon juice or vinegar. There are lots and lots of recipes that are quite prescriptive about temperatures and volumes and things like that. So find a recipe online if you wanted to try this, but simply all you need is some milk and then a little bit of vinegar or lemon juice and you can make your own farmer's cheese. Now, you would add your acid to your water and then you would cool it down and then you will see that the milk curdles and then you would use a cheesecloth to strain it and what that does is it captures all those curds you leave those curds hanging and the whey will penetrate the cheesecloth and collect in the jug that you've got underneath and then what you're left with is a farmer's cheese it's a soft cheese it's quite nice it's not my favorite cheese there's a reason that um, I don't make it the it's not because it's not a pleasant thing to eat it's just because the cheeses you can make with a more stringent method are just amazing they're just so much nicer so it's certainly worth trying and I strongly recommend that it's the first cheese you try making because the feeling of accomplishment knowing that you've made a cheese is actually quite something. I still remember when I made my first farmer's cheese and it was just a thrill. It was a thrill to have done it and because it's the simplest thing in the world it's a nice stepping stone into cheese making. But beyond farmer's cheese what we're then going to be talking about is a more cultured cheese and I use that term literally because what we're going to do is we're going to actually add a culture to our milk now what i do is i have a cheese culture that i made from milk and i used a shop bought sachet of basically bacteria that are perfect for cheese making so when i first started making cheese I bought the only two other products that I would ever need and that is some rennet and this bacteria culture that came in a sachet and what you do is you basically warm up your milk and you add this culture to it now it's much the same as I was talking earlier about live yogurt and kefir grains this is my new cheese making starter culture and I'm going to be able to use this forever without having to buy a new one what I did is I added the culture to it and left that for 24 hours and that made this beautiful cheese culture out of my milk and then I froze that in ice cube trays. Now every time I make a batch of milk I take the appropriate number of ice cube trays and I use them to effectively culture my new milk. When I get towards the end of those ice cube trays I basically do the same again but then rather than carrying on with the next step of the cheese making process I would freeze this new batch of cultured milk and that would be my new cheese starter culture that I'm going to put in the freezer that's going to go for the next number of months. So it's really really simple that side of it. When you add your cheese culture to your milk to give it all that lovely cheese making bacteria that you want the next step is to curdle it and we're going to do that by adding some rennet you can find self-sufficient hub content elsewhere online in lots of other places we have a youtube channel we also have our website and now there's our facebook page and facebook group links to all of these you can find in the show notes come check us out So rennet is a substance that curdles milk now it exists naturally in the stomachs of young animals that are dairy animals that are going to be feeding on that milk and the reason they have it there is because it literally curdles the milk within their stomachs and it makes all of the nutrients that are in that milk separated and much more easily digestible for the animal. Now you can buy this animal byproduct in the store or you can buy vegan alternatives you don't have to use a animal based rennet but whatever rennet you're using you would add a few drops of that to your cultured milk and then you would set it aside to sit for 24 hours or so depending on your recipe at a cool temperature or i say cool cool compared to the temperature that we've heated our milk to around 20 degrees centigrade if you are interested i've recently shot a youtube video of me making cheese and that will be going online in the next few days so if you want to go into the recipe i use and learn it a little bit in more depth then that will be available online by the end of this week by well, sorry by the end of next week this is going out on friday isn't it so by the end of next week that will be available on our youtube channel if you wanted to check that out but once you've sat that curdled cheese if you like for 24 hours the process is simple you just strain that through a cheesecloth and i just hang that up in the kitchen and again i leave that to drain for another 24 hours and then what i get is a semi-soft goat's cheese that's the one that i make most frequently and i have to tell you that the flavor is fantastic i thoroughly thoroughly enjoy it it's just it's one of my nicest favorite things to eat That's not the end of the story, though, because I also capture the whey. Now, the whey is a byproduct of cheesemaking, but it can also have its uses. We use it to make caramel. Um, Again, there's a YouTube video up on that. It was one of the first videos I ever made was how to make caramelized whey. And we use that to flavor puddings and, well, for anything that you would use caramel for, really. But it's also another great Product to feed back to your animals it's got lots of nutrients in it so it's certainly not something that you want to throw away so those are some of the things that we use our milk for and as you can see there's quite an array already and i haven't even mentioned ice cream now ice cream is something that is super simple to make again it's one of those things that i recommend that you use a recipe for there's so many out there but effectively you just add your flavorings to your milk and then you put it in a machine now the the one cautionary tale that I would possibly share with you is that when it comes to ice cream making machines you do get what you pay for now I started off with an incredibly cheap machine that I think I paid around 15 pounds for and effectively what it is is a big bowl which is a hollow bowl with water in it and you put that bowl in the freezer and obviously that forms ice and then you take that out you put your ice cream mixture in it and then you put the lid on and the lid contains a paddle that effectively turns around nice and slowly and the idea is that the temperature of the ice bowl reduces the temperature of the milk while the machine slowly churns it now this does work however it's very very hit and miss because it's depending on the temperature in your house it's very unlikely or at least in my experience it's very unlikely that you're actually going to set any ice cream without having to add the whole machine back into the freezer and of course freezing it without churning it is when it gets all icy and crystally. So it's a bit hit and miss. I have since invested in a second-hand ice cream making machine that I bought on eBay and that arrived just a, a month or so ago. And since then, I have to say that it's been a bit of a revelation. It's much simpler to use. You just throw your ingredients in the top and turn it on and then it makes ice cream. It's that simple. There's no magic to it in terms of the user side you just let the machine do its job but that was a much more expensive machine I've no idea what they would retail for but I paid 140 pounds for that and that was a used machine so I'm sure it would be considerably more I can't remember I did look it up at the time but an ice cream making machine I think you do kind of get what you pay for so it's just worth doing a little bit of research on those but if you wanted to dabble and you wanted to have a go then you can cert you certainly can make ice cream with these cheaper machines you know i did it and we got by with that for quite some time but it's a little bit more labor intensive and the results aren't quite as nice you don't tend to get that nice creamy ice cream it does tend to be a little bit more icy a little bit more granulated so that's just something to bear in mind that wraps up this episode I hope you found it interesting and I will be speaking to you on Monday with the final part of our soil health series where we'll be looking at all of the macro and micronutrients that we've yet to mention speak to you on Monday if you find this podcast valuable there's several ways you can support it the easiest of which is to rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. You could also talk about it or share it wherever you post online, including your social media pages. And now you can support the podcast directly by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. However you support the podcast, we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. See you soon.